You're listening to the Colts Blue Zone Podcast with Mike Chappell and Dave Griffiths. Inside and outside the Fox 59 CBS4 Podcast Studio, welcome to another Colts Blue Zone Podcast alongside Joe Hopkins and Mike Chappell. I'm Dave Griffiths. Glad to have you back for our final podcast before the Colts are actually in competition with another team. The Carolina Panthers come to town later this week. They will practice together on the fields up in Westfield before they host their preseason game at Lucas Oil Stadium on Sunday. So certainly a very uh, much-anticipated weekend for the franchise, but a lot of news going on before then. The Colts hand out several long-term contracts. The team has released their unofficial, quote-unquote, unofficial depth chart. Uh, We ask, is there a quarterback competition brewing up there at Grand Park? Could be an interesting discussion. And we also reflect on a Hall of Fame weekend that uh, had plenty of horseshoe flavor. But first, we do start with uh, the news of the day this Wednesday as we tape this podcast. And Quiddy Pay suffered an ankle injury early uh, in practice on Wednesday. Uh, severity currently unknown. Didn't get a whole lot of details from Frank Reich. But, but Mike, this is just the latest in a long line of injuries this camp to very important players. And it's been... You, you you hope they're getting the bad luck out of the way early because if this luck continues throughout the season, then then it's going to be a test of their depth from start to finish. Yeah, it's funny. I'm going to put uh, one of Frank's quotes from last week on Get Save where he says, you can't make this stuff up. Uh, because remember back-to-back days last week, they had the foot surgeries for Wentz and Nelson and then this. And today was – this just shows you how, how do you prepare – to not have this happen. This is a very, very light workout, somewhere between a practice and a walkthrough. And it was kind of crazy. Uh, Ellinger th- throws a pass, and Darius Leonard you know, intercepts it, and he's weaving back and forth, and this, that, and the other, and then it's over, and then you see 51 on the ground. And as I've learned over the years, whenever somebody's down, you look for numbers. There's like 10 numbers every year that you look. And it's not to dismiss other players, but – you look for players, and there's 51 down. He was down for, I don't know, a minute, two minutes, trainers around him, DeForest Buckner looking at him, probably threatening him, telling him to get up. <laughs> but but then they take his right shoe off, and he walks off and goes into the training room. So we'll see. Uh, I think the, 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 the most optimistic thing is, unfortunately, is he misses the work against Carolina Thursday, Friday, and the uh, the, the preseason game. And, that's when you really want your, your your new guys, your draft picks, and all this to go against different people. But yeah, I mean, we've talked about Wentz and Nelson and uh, Ryan Kelly. Uh, Braden Smith hasn't practiced for two days. It was maintenance, and he's got a boot on his left foot. So you, you, the only the only silver lining is it's early in camp, but it's really tapping into that depth that that you hoped you would need later so we'll see how this thing pans out yeah joe we've talked about before that we think that the colts uh, depth on the uh on the offensive and defensive lines is probably some of the best in the nfl but uh nevertheless once you start losing guys then then that depth becomes uh, not a strength anymore and with, with quitty as mike mentioned this is the time that you really wanted to see what what he could do against some other other teams other players because he, he's had a pretty solid camp. And, like, I, I'm always one to say, like, I, I like it when, obviously, when rookies are have a good camp and you hear coaches and other players saying encouraging things. But 
to me, it, it matters nothing until you at least see them against another team in the preseason. And that matters, I mean, little when it comes to the regular season when you get there. But like, you, you just hope to see a natural progression through all those things. And with, with Quiddy, that progression is now put on pause. Yeah, it's a shame he won't have more time to get acclimated to the NFL level before the season starts. And I mean, starting to sweat here about my over under eight sacks for quitty pay number, but <laughs> hopefully he's just out a few days, maybe a week or two, and he can be uh, fully healthy by the regular season starts because this team is certainly going to need him. You know, when it comes to ankles, it's it's like the high ankle sprain is certainly worse than the low ankle sprain. But like I said, the Colts didn't have any information right away. So we're, we'll, we'll probably get that later in the week. Um, low ankles can be like a really sh- a short period of time from one to two weeks, depending on how, how bad it is. And as Mike said, if he's down on the field for a minute or two and they take his foot off, that's not something that's completely minor and like, oh, maybe he can come back later today or he can come back tomorrow. That sounds like something that's going to be out for some time. And high ankles typically last a little bit longer than that, maybe even up to a month, a uh, month and a half. So Michael Thomas yeah. last year. Yeah, you can, you can last the entire year if you're like if you're in the season and you're really trying to get somebody as ready as you can for a week and uh, and he still plays on it and then it balloons up yet again. Like that's 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 something where you don't have the luxury of taking time off to, to sit. And mm-hmm. uh, but but you're right. So right now, I think is hopefully a different circumstance that this is not a, a season long lingering injury like it was for Michael Thomas. I, um, since you can really take time off in the preseason, even though you want to see your rookies, Joe, get time, like there's no way you're going to be rushed back right now in order to make this a lingering injury. That's a good point. Yeah. So well, anyway, and, and, yeah, and, and one thing, and one thing, real quick with the injuries. So we're we're watching practice today, and you know we're watching Ellinger and, and Eason. The starting offensive line was from left to right: Will Holden, Will Fries, Danny Penner, Chris Reed, and Julian Davenport. Because. All five of their offensive projected offensive starters are out, uh, and again, I'm, I'm sure Glowinski was a rest day, and Braden was supposedly a maintenance day. But until they get this line back together, it, it's really, really hard to judge the quarterbacks, the running game. Uh, again, the only silver lining is it's early, not later. But uh, it, this is it's not ideal. I don't care how you spin it; it's not ideal. Mike, you're always saying, what's the difference between a surgery and a procedure? What's the difference between a rest day and a maintenance day? Well, I, they, they put out maintenance day on Braden Smith yesterday. Then he walks out with a boot, and then he's got the boot on today. And if there are any any medical people, still, let me know what the heck the difference is <laughs> in a surgery and a procedure, other than surgery sounds more, more you know, serious. I just wonder if it, how far does a scalpel go into your, your skin? But uh, these again, that that's we sort of make light of that. But anytime it's a surgery, it's not minor. It's just if it's on me, it's nothing's minor. But uh, again, with Quiddy Pay, we'll just kind of cross cross our fingers for the team and hope because he has had an outstanding camp. Going against backup tackles, yes, but I'd rather him do that and dominate than go against backups and just sort of be so so. So this this will be worth. Uh, monitoring as we go forward the Colts have locked down their leaders through the 2026 season Chris Ballard and Frank Reich sign extensions with the franchise Ballard hired back in 2017 Reich came a year later in 2018 they've led the Colts to a 28 and 20 record which yeah uh two playoff appearances in three seasons which is good so 28 and 20 I think it um you, you get the the image of the 
the really less than stellar year in between the two playoff years kind of uh, brings the record down a little bit. But hey, two playoff appearances in three seasons, that's acceptable, I think. You're certainly hoping that it gets better. Um, Ballard, widely regarded as one of the NFL's best general managers, and there's stats to back that up when it comes to drafting and players that have started and have uh, it's kind of more extended stats. It's not your typical uh, easy ones that you find on, on, online in different places. But um, anyway, uh, Reich led the Colts to the postseason twice in three years with three different starting quarterbacks in those three years. So it's been it's been not the easiest time for for Chris Ballard here in Indianapolis, uh, Mike. But it's uh, it's one that Jim Irsay certainly uh, gave his stamp of approval to to these two for the foreseeable future. Yeah, let's keep in mind that they will start their fifth straight different starting quarterback against Seattle on opening day. So that that's simply – there's no way you spin that as a positive. And we, we could take an entire show, and we, we can't now because of the way the season's approaching, but how the Andrew Luck situation has set this team back. You know, Andrew did what, what he had to do for his reasons, and you can't, you can't criticize it. If you criticize it, it's you being – Selfish because of what he's taken away from you. But when you can, can you simply imagine the last year or two, and you put a, a, a generational quarterback with the with this roster. So uh, it's I, I've heard criticism that all you're doing is rewarding mediocrity, mediocrity with with Frank and Chris Ballard. I don't agree. I mean, if you want better, who? G- give me some names, some combinations, and. At some point, though, having said that, at some point, they have got to get this quarterback thing fixed. They hope it's with Wentz. If it is, you know, full steam ahead. But you simply cannot go season to season, quarterback to quarterback, and grow. So hopefully this Wentz thing gets in a rearview mirror and they can move forward because until you get the quarterback situation fixed, you're just sort of treading water. Yeah, when when Chris Ballard took over, Joe, it was it was a really massive overhaul, particularly on the defensive side of the football. Uh, there weren't too many guys, there weren't too many players that that were held over. There was a time when uh, I believe it was Clayton Gathers was like the last holdover, like a year and a half into Chris Ballard's tenure on the defensive side of the ball. I I, I seem to remember that stat. So it was it was a situation where where the cupboard was was pretty bare on that side of the ball in particular. And um, now, as we've said, the defensive line is probably one of the deeper units. Um, they have their guys that they um, – we'll get into Darius Leonard's extension shortly. Um, but, but key guys like Darius and Kenny Moore and DeForest Buckner to, re- to really build around. Um, it, it's <clears> – they're still searching for that that young uh, pass rusher. They certainly hope to have one of them in either Dio Odangbo or Quiddy Pay. Uh, but it's it's been a steady process. It's been a slower process than I think Colts fans would want because of, well, how, how close they felt they were to uh, to serious contention in the AFC a couple years ago with Andrew Luck here. But uh, say it, we're spoiled. Yeah, we're, spo- uh, well, yes. <laughs> we're spoiled yeah, with Peyton Manning yes. and Andrew Luck. Uh, Completely. But but I, I think that I, I, when you have your guys, you lock them down. And, and these two have earned, in my opinion – their extensions. Absolutely. But, uh, you know, Frank Wright's still extension still doesn't take him beyond John Gruden's 10 year signing with the Raiders. He'll be with them till 2028. Apparently is what I just looked up. I thought that oh, was kind of funny seeing how things are going over in Las Vegas. I- I'm a hundred percent, uh, aboard these two extensions. I think 
given the circumstances and the context, uh, both Chris Ballard and Frank Wright have done a great job. I mean, Ballard just hits after, on draft pick after draft pick. And Frank Wright, I think it'd be pretty hard to argue against him not getting the best out of the players that he's had over the past seven years. Even the losing season between the two playoff years, they went, what, seven and nine? Right. Uh, with Jacoby Brissett. And then Brissett even got hurt, and they had to go to Hoyer for a, a game there. So it, it, I think Frank Wright's doing a great job. The quarterback, once they get that figured out, hopefully it's sooner rather than later, but once they get that figured out, uh, it's Super Bowl expectations for this team. Mike, uh, Chris Bowder always say it doesn't come down to one guy, but but Joe just mentioned it, and you touched on it earlier. It, it, it certainly relies uh, heavily on, on if the quarterback is right uh, for uh, if – for, for how long a GM will stay, I think, in, in a franchise. That, that guy gives you a chance. There's, I don't know what it is, five or six quarterbacks, maybe, maybe a few more, that give you a chance every game. Uh, Peyton Manning did that. I remember when he was here, and I hate to keep going back to him, but, but he was sort of the he, – he, he put the bar so high that whenever you're projecting uh, wins and losses, you said, well, let me see that win 10. And Andrew Luck was the same way. Uh, you know, I, 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 when you've got that guy, he gives you a chance every game. When you don't have it, you have to find other ways, whether you've got a great defense and you have to be creative on offense and you really have to, you know, minimize turnovers that you do anyway, but they're magnified when you have a, a t- an offense that's not scoring a bunch of points. And go back to the 2019 they they were like Jacoby's injury away from maybe being ten and six in the playoffs that year. You know, if he stays healthy, they probably beat Pittsburgh. They certainly beat Miami the next week when Brian Hoyer didn't play well for a lot of reasons. So it, they've got to get it fixed. You know, again, they thought it would have really been interesting if Rivers had come back for year two that re- they really thought was going to happen. Of course, then the wins thing probably doesn't happen, and you're looking at the draft so. They've got to get it fixed. This, it's it's. I, I I've been in arguments with people before about the the, the Ryan Grigson and in in the Chris Ballard eras regimes, whatever you want to call it. And I just I, I look at the rosters top to bottom, and these are better. They they just are. There there aren't as many holes and all that. And yet Ryan Grigson, those guys won. They they, they had a better record. And they had Andrew Luck. There were other things, yes, but when you've got that guy and Andrew Luck comes in with with Grigson really made the roster over because they had to blow it up when when Peyton left, and, and they were eleven and five. So I, it, it's yes, it's fifty three. Yes, it's offense, defense, special teams. But g- g- give me that quarterback, and I'll sort of find a way to make it work elsewhere. And again, until you get it, until you get that guy, you're Jacksonville. Well, Darius Leonard is signed through the 2026 season as well after inking a five-year, $99 million extension. 99.25. 99.25 million dollars. He's the NFL's highest paid off-ball linebacker. And what that basically means, he's the highest paid uh, not outside linebacker in a 3-4 defense like uh, Khalil Mack, who rushes the quarterback who uh, is basically an edge rusher, and those guys get a little bit more money than your typical off-ball linebacker. So Darius, since entering the league, leads the leads all linebackers in tackles per game with nearly 10, 
in tackles for loss per game with one, in sacks with 15, forced fumbles with nine, second interceptions with seven. Um, Mike, he's everything the Colts need in, in this defensive scheme is a playmaking guy, a high tackles per game guy, near, tier, typically always around the ball, a uh, certainly an emotional leader on that side of the defense. So zero surprise to see a, a big, big number when Darius Leonard signs this deal. Correct. It, it, we've had a lot of times, and I'm not going to mention names because it'll come out as, as a knock, and I don't mean it that way, linebackers who pile up tackles, just pile up tackles, and at the end of the day you're thinking – but I don't remember many of them. Well, Darius is a guy that piles up tackles, and you remember them, and interceptions, sacks, forced fumbles. Uh, the game against Houston here, when they're going into to what would have been tying the game at the end, near the end, and, and he pokes the ball away. So that's what this league is all about, you know, shock plays, whatever you want to call them, plays that make a difference. And his stat line is full of them. It just – and then on tackles on top of it, so – these are the kind of guys you lock up. Uh, it, it's one thing to draft okay, and then after their rookie contract's over, they're not. I, I, the value's not there to resign. I won't say they're not worth. The value's not there to not resign them. A- Anthony Walker, quality player, but you just you you want more from uh, the linebacker position. You know they may have this issue in a year or two with Bobby Okereke because he he's playing off the charts. But that's what you want. You want to draft well, and but then when you draft well, I mean really well, then you got to pay them. And that's that's Darius, that's uh, Braden Smith, who's now what a top three or four right tackle in the league. I don't think he's top. I don't think he's a top, but he's right near the top. I think he's second behind yeah. Ramchek. Right. And then oh by the way, Quentin Nelson. And what's he going to get for crying out loud? I mean, it's it's going they're going to start at twenty or twenty one. So, but that that's. That's the good problem to have when you're a GM and a team is draft well and then pay them. That's go back to the 2000s, and that's that's what Pullian did. You draft well, and when you draft well, you've got to resign Peyton Manning, you've got to resign Dwight Freeney, Tariq Glenn, although that wasn't his guy, but all Reggie Wayne, Dallas Clark, Bob Sanders. You've got to resign your guys, and when you do, it costs you. And you eventually get to a problem where you have to pick the guys that you don't resign, like an Edger and James. And, and people people forget that that he didn't yeah. get a second contract here. He got he he might have gotten he got the franchise tag his seventh year. It was a seven year rookie deal that voided it the seventh year, and then he got the franchise tag. And then Bill Pullian and, and I I can't argue with him. He said you know his his thing on running backs is you want to get rid of him a year earlier than a year late. And Edron went to Arizona and had a couple of thousand-yard seasons, I think. But had they brought him back in 06, they wouldn't have missed a beat. But they were they were able to kind of transition to Joe Adai, who was a good player. Not a great player, but a very good player. But you, it, it's tough decisions. But I'd rather have tough decisions like that than not really have guys that I want to that, that I think I need to pay big money to. Joe, I, I think that uh... – the Darius is always uh, fed off of being slighted or even perceived uh, issues of being slighted. And uh, like this is certainly something that could feed your ego, but I thought it was just funny that like the same week, the Madden rate can come up for this this year, and he's like, I don't know, sixth or seventh rated linebacker. So uh, yet again, Darius Leonard, even, even in the time where uh, somebody gives him all the credit he deserves in the Colts with a $99 million contract, he's probably more focused on his Madden rating right now about him being, uh, being ticked off and trying to prove people wrong again. 
Yeah, and man, I'm still reeling from that seven-year rookie contract. I wish Jonathan yeah. Taylor was on a seven-year contract right now. That'd be great. Yeah, Not have so to pay this guy. That was pre-CBA rookie wage scales, so uh, right. a different world entirely. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Um, absolutely, and you, you kind of hit the... I don't know if it's just a coincidence, Dave, but you kind of nailed it last week when you said, man, if I wonder if Darius will be back on the field after he gets that contract, and he sure was. So I'm glad to have him back out there, already making plays in practice. I think he's worth every single penny. In my biased opinion, he is the best linebacker in the NFL for all the reasons you guys stated earlier, those splash plays that make the difference. I'm glad they got Darius uh, and Braden locked up, and we can go into the season not thinking about contract extensions, at least for those two players. Well, the NFL has announced that the injured reserve in 2021 will uh, be similar to last year, uh, keeping some COVID changes uh, over. Uh, Unlimited players can return from a team's injured reserve list, like last year. Your eligible return after missing three games rather than eight weeks, which was uh, the the story in the past. And a uh, popular change uh, Mike spawned last year is going to come back. And this certainly with with how much we've already talked about injuries today in this podcast, it could be uh, very helpful for the Colts in a couple weeks. Yeah, what is it? You you, you miss three games, is it, uh, if you're yep. on IR? Yep. Uh, again, back in the day, it was like four games, and then and then they changed it. I like this. It, 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 in, instead of you know a guy's going to miss whatever, four, five, six games, but not the season – so, so it gives you the option of having that guy. And the only issue the Colts are going to have with this come when roster cuts to 53 is you're, you're going to have possibly three or four players not ready yet. Uh, Eric Fisher, we don't know. Uh, he's still on PUP. And, and to have him on IR, if that's what you want to do short term, he's got to be active on the active 53 first. So you can activate him when you catch 53, then you put him on pup or on IR uh, a day later or whatever. And again, you don't know about wins. You don't know about uh, Quentin Nelson. And, you know, oh, by the way, we haven't even played a preseason game yet. So there's a chance of other people getting dinged up. But I, I just like the idea of, of not penalizing a team or a player who you know is going to be ready at some point, probably sooner rather than later. Instead of being done for the year, he's got a chance to come back, which is good, which is win-win for the team and the player. Yeah, Mike, your your point about uh, the 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 cut to fifty-three certainly rings true. Like you get a guy if you get a guy like Eric Fisher, Dio Dangbo, that certainly won't be ready week one. Maybe you want to put them on on IR, but you need to keep them on your fifty-three first. So that means you need to cut guys that you kind of want to keep. You know, you cut other guys, and then they have the ability to sign elsewhere if they can. So or be like, or be or, claimed or be claimed. Right, right. The the more the more injuries you have in the preseason, and that for guys that you want to keep that you might want to put on IR, just the more difficult that roster cut becomes at, at, at the end of the preseason. And that, so that that could be something that Chris Ballard has a particular challenge with this year. Now, and, and with 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 Dio. Uh, he, he, he could, I'm, unless I'm totally wrong, I don't think I am. He can stay on pup. Right. Uh, but, but, but so, but that's like six, six weeks. And then there's a three week, Correct. a three week window. So, and I think that's, I don't even know. That's that we've seen, I'm not sure yeah. we've seen him at practice yet. I haven't seen him out there. So, so again, it's, 
it's it's not going to be easy because you're going to have three or four or five players, you hope it's not more, taking up a spot on a 53 when you know they're not going to be ready for the next three or four games, but you, you can't you, you can't expose them or, or, or put them on – you put a guy on IR now and he's done. Right. IR in the preseason and you're done. So th- this is just taking shape and we'll see. Uh, but it's really interesting. And, again, you just hold your breath in practice now. And it'll be the same thing on, in games because – Guys get hurt. It, it, this is if, – if anyone ever has the chance to watch a game, uh, a handful of plays on the sidelines, and you see you see what goes on, trauma to the body, you wonder how guys ever get up, let alone play the next play. So uh, we'll see how this th- these next three – or these three games are. And you want to get ready and you want to do this, that, and the other. But if I'm, if I'm Frank Reich and, and Chris Ballard, You've got to get guys ready, Easton, Ellinger, these rookies, yet you don't want to expose unnecessarily guys to get hurt now. It's really a tough balance between getting ready and staying healthy. You know, maybe we see, I think Easton's supposed to play like a quarter, quarter and a half behind a makeshift offensive line. So it's re- I think the second game we're going to get a pretty good idea the third game will be like the fourth game in Cincinnati. Right. The, these guys are going to be – they're going to be playing for for auditioning maybe probably for elsewhere or for their parents. But th- 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 this is a very, very tough dance teams have to do to go into the season. While we're talking about injuries, a bit of an encouraging report from ESPN's Chris Mortensen on Wednesday saying Carson Wentz is trending to open the season as the starter with all-pro guard Quentin Nelson on the same path after their foot surgeries. And and guys, I'll I'll be honest here. I thought this was a pretty confusing report because the Colts have told us that it's going to be, it's basically two weeks of rest and rehab, which they're still in the middle of right now, or two weeks of rest before you get to rehab, rather, before you can really know anything in particular. So this report is coming out before rehab has begun. This report is coming out before they he, Carson can really do anything significant on his foot. I, I think all, all this is right now is like nothing went wrong in surgery and Carson feels good right now. Like that's, that seems to me what, what this report is coming from. So somebody obviously told Chris Mortensen this specifically, or else he wouldn't have reported it, that Carson and Quentin are trending to open the season. But it's just confusing to me that this would come out from either Carson's camp or the Colts camp at this point because they haven't really started their rehab process yet. And here's why specifically. Carson has been injured in the past. He has, for better or for worse, for right or for wrong, an injury plague designation. If he gets to the point where he starts to rehab and things don't progress that well, he's going to miss a game or two, and that will immediately put him on Colts fans' bad side, because this report is coming out, somebody's saying, whether it's the Colts or Carson, that, hey, he's going to be ready week one, and then if something, God forbid, goes wrong early on in, in this rehab process, then that immediately is like, well, Carson's injured again. That, that just makes people upset. It, it, puts him in, in a, it puts him in a position to be, to be disliked, to, be, to have guys roll their eyes and say, here we go again. Like, it, it just seems a foolish thing to get out to me. Like, it, it, it's just it's not being cautious with, with him at all. I don't know. Maybe I'm overreacting to this. Maybe I am. Mike, no, you I, seem like you have something to say. Go ahead. 
Yeah, I, I, you know, it says they're trending. Well, I'm trending towards Thursday and Friday, uh, but we don't, <laughs> but we don't know. So uh, again, I, I, I really don't believe this is Chris Ballard or Frank Reich. No, they, they've told us from the start that five to twelve weeks, and they are hopeful that it's on the front end. Well, the the opener would be six weeks in, and, and we'll see. I, I. I I go back to when was it 2017 when we're talking to Jim Irsay in the tunnel at the was it third preseason game fourth preseason game, and they were still, you know, holding out hope that Luck was going to be ready to play and, and right. you knew better. Right. So that's the problem, and and that's why the Ballard and Reich have all, always been very very careful about timelines because again you're right as soon as soon as it doesn't happen they say well hey you said right that they were trending so what's up. And I, I think it's encouraging. I guess that that both Quentin and Wentz are out there at practice a week after surgery, without a boot or whatever. Doesn't mean anything. They're, they're not doing football stuff yet, and they're not supposed to, like you said, for two weeks. Uh, so so I, it's it's where we are in the media trying to get immediate snapshots of what's going on when it's not immediate. So I you know let let's see in three weeks. If they're out there doing some football stuff, pushing off and have have having really people lean on them and cutting, because the one thing that, that Frank Reich did say again, two weeks of really very little rest and all that, and then at some point in in, in another week or two they can start doing football things, uh, walkthroughs, but he ma- he made it very clear there will there will be a point where that's four weeks five weeks to where. It's a pain tolerance issue. It's not, boy, be careful. He's, he's gonna he's gonna re-injure what, what what the injury was. It was more how much pain can you deal with. And with the quarterback, what you gotta be careful about is you go back to the plan. Although this is his left foot, but you do something with your left foot, then it then it messes up your your mechanics, and then then all of a sudden all hell breaks loose on what you're doing. So this is premature, but this is where we are in the media. And I tell you, I'm not questioning Mort at all. No, Mort's been one of the, one of the greats for a long time. But this is somebody I got in my mind who it probably is. I won't go there because I won't. But th- this is trying to put a positive spin a week after surgery. So, uh, but again, Frank is hopeful they'll be out there. But he's he's not going to be running to Vegas and putting a hundred dollars on it. No, not at all. And I and I want to be very clear. I'm not criticizing Chris Mortensen at all. Somebody told him this information, and he he ran it as he should, as he completely should. But I guess my point, Joe, is like if this came from Carson Wentz's camp specifically, I think it's really foolish to let it out because you're only setting him up for failure. If he makes it back at the start of the season, then he did what he's supposed to. And then he, if he doesn't make it back at the start of the season, then all of a sudden. Like he, it's it's kind of a failure in that sense. Do you, do you get what I'm saying, Joe? Yeah, I get what you're saying. I'm glad we were able to talk about it and kind of put this into context because I saw it getting a lot of attention online and a lot of Colts fans had some warm, bubbly feelings about it. I, I agree with both of you guys. It's just far too early to tell. Um, I think after the two weeks, so get into the rehab, that's roughly another two weeks. And then the injury is kind of week to week just based on how much the foot hurts. Um, because like you guys said, the positive thing is after those four weeks, it sounds like they're not at risk of re- 
re-aggravating the injury. It's just how bad does it hurt? And even if you play through the pain, it's going to continue to heal and get better as the season goes along. Um, it would be great if we had Carson Wentz against Seattle, but Russell Wilson's going to be a tough matchup regardless. And I would rather, you know, just tamper those expectations knowing the, be- the beginning of the se- season's going to be tough no matter what. Tamper the expectations. They'll be back when they're back. And the Colts are hoping for a long-term answer in Carson Wentz, not just trying to rush him out there for a one-year thing. The Colts also have activated tackle Julian Davenport, defensive end al Muhammad, and cornerback Xavier Rhodes from the reserve COVID-19 list over the last week and uh, placed wide receiver J.J. Nelson on injured reserve, so his season is done. Also waived safety Roland Milligan and quarterback Jalen Morton. So we'll just touch on that before we move on to the Colts releasing their unofficial depth chart. Uh, you can find certain positions that might not be, well, uh, certain ones will obviously not be a surprise, but a couple that we uh, picked out that at least could be uh, of discussion. We see Will Holden over Sam Tevy at left tackle, even though uh, Tevy has taken the majority of snaps there, I think, over the 10 or so days of, of the preseason. Maybe he's been the starter for seven of them over Will Holden. Um, so Will Holden still listed as the top left tackle. Um, Zach Pascal listed as the third wide receiver over Paris Campbell. Uh, TJ Carey listed as a starter over Rock Yassin. And on the defensive line, Quiddy Pay and Taekwon Lewis are listed as the starters at the end position. Uh, for me, um, I think that the, I think TJ Carey over Rock Yassin is the most notable. The others don't surprise me as much. I can get into them a little bit why. I'll say Will Holden over Sam Tevy. If they're listing the guy who was just here last year, even though he was here for a brief time last year, I can get that, and that's still kind of probably a pretty open competition. Zach Paschal over Paris Campbell. I think the Colts will trot Paschal out there when in more running situations. So he might be out there for two wide receiver sets with uh, him and Michael Pittman and T.Y. is even on the sideline because he's a better blocker. Uh, so I, I'm not surprised on that. It's it, That's just a matter of how exactly the Colts uh, coaching staff wants to use them in those situations. You're going to see a lot of Zach Paschal out there this year. Uh, so that doesn't surprise me. Uh, Quiddy Pay and Taekwon Lewis, I think we talked about that a couple years ago. Uh, years. <laughs> Jeez, a couple weeks ago. <laughs> I'm getting way ahead of myself. That uh, We thought that those two guys would be the starters. Um, so that's not a surprise. So like the TJ carry over Rocky scene, maybe. TJ has more been an inside cornerback throughout his career. He can play outside too. So maybe that's the only one that kind of raises my my eyebrows a little bit. Uh, Mike, what do you think about uh, these four positions that are listed as uh, on the depth chart? Yeah, it's it's all fluid. I think when it like is. you mentioned, I, I think when the time comes, we're going to see a lot of the top four receivers because they will. They're going to get if he stays healthy. Knock on wood. Paris Campbell's going to play a bunch. They're going to get the ball in his hands. He's he's a playmaker, and you like you like that group. Uh, defensive end, I, I like all that. All those guys, the way they're trying to play. We'll see how Quiddy Pay. I want to see who takes over Quiddy Pay when he's not out there. Whether it's Mohammed, where they put Ben Ben Banigou over there, who's had a very good camp. In corner, it, it just furthers the idea that I, I, I guess they don't know what they've got, or maybe they do with Rocky Seen. Uh, and, and and if it's a case that they, they do know, that's not exactly encouraging in my mind for Yassin that he's not starting. So it's it's early. That's why again, the, the the next two weeks, ten days, whatever it is, with with the two preseason games, is going to be monster. You know who 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 is the game not too big for, and who is really out of their element. 
And you normally see that pretty quick. I think there's a cut to 85 Tuesday or Wednesday next week. I'd have to d- double check. So, so they'll, they'll pair the roster a little bit. But you can only tell so much from practicing against yourself. It really Things really crystallize when you're out there against somebody else going full speed. Joe, what'd you take from uh, this unofficial death chart release? Uh, I take the same thing with you. Uh, it's discouraging to not see Rockison listed as a starter. Um, hopefully he'll be able to get it together. But I think cornerback is sneakily one of the weaknesses of this team when you're looking at long term. I mean, Xavier Rhodes on the wrong side of 30, came back on another one-year deal. Uh, Rockison very much up in the air. Don't know about him. Uh, everybody loves Kenny Moore, but you need more than one good cornerback on the team. Um, so I think going into next offseason, kind of getting a little ahead of myself here, but that's going to be a major uh, point of emphasis and area of need is a long-term cornerback on this team, unless, of course, Rocky Singh can step up and be the consistent uh, starter that they hoped he would be when they drafted him. Now we come to a uh, very interesting discussion, I think which uh, was uh, stealing quite a few headlines in uh, Colts camp this week. And that was that Sam Ellinger has been working a little bit with the number one offense. Frank Reich says this is a meritocracy. Sam has looked good, so we decided to split it up. It wasn't anything with Jacob that he is doing wrong. So Sam Ellinger has been working with the ones the past couple days. Chap, you've been out there. Uh, I have not the past few days, so I'll just I'll just hand it to you to let us know how Sam has looked in his first uh, opportunities that he's been given with that top unit. I sort of look at this as not so much a Sam Ellinger promotion as a Jacob Eason demotion. I, I, we he, we just haven't seen the consistency from Jacob Eason. We just he, he'll show you some things and then. He shows you the other side, and Ellinger's more of the of, of the steady, even keel guy. We talked to uh, G- Eason yesterday, the day before, whatever it was, and he, he he's everything. If you put a quarterback together in the lab, it's him. 6'6", 230, 235. You see the big arm, and then you see the indecision, uh, the, the the slow reads, the hesitancy. The, the high, hard ones, and he's had a couple of deep balls. you think that would be his strength. He had one to, to Des Patman the other day, and the ender throws it and makes Patman come back and make a tough catch. The, to me, this is more a reflection of what Eason has not done. I was in Canton over the weekend, so I wasn't there, but Frank talked even Saturday that Eason's, Eason's in the driver's seat and he belongs there. We like to play him. And then they take a day and a half off and they come back. Or then they practice Sunday, take a day and a half off, and they come back Tuesday, and they went to play and B. They, they put a two-seater out there, so sure. you know I, I think it it reflects where they are, which is right in the middle of uncertainty. They're they're acting entirely like Wentz is going to be ready. They are. I mean, I we we I've talked on this show a lot that I wish they had signed a veteran in May or June just just because I. I I like that security blanket of, of knowing you've got somebody that, if worst case, he's been there and he, the game won't be, be too big for him. That still may happen, 
you know, we, we've talked maybe last week about Nick Foles and you can wait a longer time with him because he knows the offense and whatever. But I, 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 I just don't see how this team, from what I've seen and whatever it's been, a dozen practices or not quite, how you go into the season opener with either one of these guys. I just, I just don't see it. And maybe they'll prove a lot of us wrong. But I, and also, why would we expect the light to go on tomorrow, the next day, in a week? I, I think what we see is what we see. We're seeing two quarterbacks who simply need work. They need reps, which is not a knock. But by the same token, that tells me they're not ready to play at this level yet as a starter or extended time. You know, the, 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 clock's, the clock's ticking on this, and they're running out of time. Yeah, I, I, I think one reason that Sam Ellinger has probably had a better start of the camp than Jacob Eason when you're just looking in their 7-on-7, 11-on-11 drills is Ellinger has been playing the second defense, for crying out loud. He's not facing DeForest Buckner in his face. He's not facing Quiddy Pay, who's had a very good camp coming off the edge, getting past Sam Tevy. So now that he's with the ones, if he can, if he only matches what Jacob Eason is doing, he he's not going to move above him. Like Joe, I think Sam Ellinger really needs to do something remarkable with the one unit to to leapfrog Jacob Eason. Um, and and Chap, Chap is right that that Eason hasn't proven that he deserves the quote-unquote starting spot right now, at least for right now, while Carson Wentz is out. But I, I still think it's a tall task for to ask Ellinger to to leap into that role in his obviously very limited pro experience. I think something that could be an element is what Ellinger provides that Jacob Eason doesn't is he's a little bit more mobile. Um, no, he's not a speedster. I think he ran like a 4.8, but I just looked it up on Pro Football Reference. Ellinger ran for over 1,900 yards in college. Eason had negative 126. So, no, you're not going to all of a sudden have the next Lamar Jackson out there outrunning people, but he gives you a little more of that backyard football, a little different style of play than maybe Eason can give you if both of them are being inconsistent throwing the football. Uh, That's just an element of it. I'm not saying that's the reason Ellinger might start above Eason, but I do think it's a factor. I think, Mike, that if either, like you said, if either one of these two has to start week one, it's, it's, I, I think a mess might be a little bit of a strong word for it, but it, it's certainly not a good situation um, based on what we've seen uh, so far in camp. Ne- neither one of them has the same panache that we have seen from starting caliber quarterbacks in the past here in Indy. Well, and the problem, it, it, it's like the perfect storm working against the Colts. Uh, it, okay, let, let's say you go with one of those – I keep wanting to say both rookies, but Eason and, and Ellinger. Well, okay, we got a strong offensive line, we got a good defense, we got a running game, but you're not going to have your offensive line, you know, intact in because Fisher's not. Fisher's doing some pretty good work on the side. He really is, but there, there's I, I I can't imagine him being ready for the opener. Quentin, we'll see. I think Ryan Kelly will be ready to go, but if you can at least ha- have a the semblance of a passing game where you're, you're threatening down the field, all of a sudden, you know, Taylor and Mack and Hines are running into nine-man nine man boxes. 
and and I then you're putting more pressure on your defense to to to, to do things, and so I I, I just think it's it, it's not the the ideal situation. Again, I I would take an eighty percent wins over either one of these guys, and, and and tailor my offense to where maybe he's not doing as much outside the pocket, which 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 is limits his strengths then. I mean, because that's part of his game. But you've got you've got to have quarterback play where they can make plays. It's, now you're going to not get the same level of play, but that's why Eason he at least gives you the 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 the, the, the possibility of plays in the passing game down the field. But he's probably also going to make more mistakes. And if you're already operating like that, sort of like a Jacoby Brissett. You just—it's okay to be a game manager, but if you're going to do that, you can't—you can't spray the ball around and have turnovers. Right. And that's why I say this is—I guess you couldn't have sat down and said, "How can we really make this a tough start?" Besides having those first five games being just a meat grinder. Well, we can take your quarterback out. We can take your left tackle out. So it's not ideal. This is really going to be—we're going to see how creative. Frank and Marcus Brady can be offensively, regardless who the quarterback is, because even if Wentz is out there, he's I, I, there's very little chance I think he's 100. percent So then you've got to do things from that. You're going to have to protect the left tackle some. It just restricts what you do offensively. But we've seen times in the past that they've done a very good job uh, of being creative. This is going to take master create creativity to get things done. So the Colts do host the Carolina Panthers on Sunday after a couple joint practices with them throughout the rest of this week. You can watch the game at 1 o'clock p.m. on Sunday on Fox 59 in central Indiana. Uh, what we're watching for in that game, guys, you always look for the rookies. Uh, unfortunate, it seems that Quiddy Pay is not going to be there, and obviously Dio Dangbo is not going to be there, so your top two rookies, out, not going to have them. No third-round pick this year. Fourth round, Colin Granson then becomes the top rookie who's uh, who's who's going to be playing in this game. And I think, Joe, it'll certainly be interesting to see what Kylan can do and, and all the receivers. But at the same time, if you're playing with an entire group of backup offensive linemen, it might be difficult for the quarterback to get him the ball. Uh, it, it's 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 always it – can, it can be a mess. It can be a mess, preseason games. They they really can. And I think the the ingredients are there for this, this to be a bit of a mess for the Colts if the offensive line really is kind of ragged. And uh, obviously they have backup quarterbacks in there entirely. Um, you, you don't, ex- I don't expect to see too much playing time for starters, guys like T.Y. Hilton or Jonathan Taylor, uh, or, 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 or even Michael Pittman Jr. And, and Paris Campbell. You don't want to get Paris in there for opportunities to get him hurt again. You just want to be careful, I think, in those situations. So uh, f- for me, I'm looking at Kylan Granson. Um, I'm looking at Michael Strawn and Desmond Patman. Uh, so if the quarterback can get them the ball, I'd be very interested to see what, what those pass catchers in particular can do in this type of situation. Yeah. I'm real excited to see Michael Strawn. I've heard he's made some plays in camp so far. Um, yeah, I want to see how the quarterbacks do. I want, I don't want to see any Jonathan Taylor, but I would like to see how Marlon Mack runs out there coming off the Achilles. Uh, maybe not too many plays, but give him, I don't know, five touches, something like that. See, see if he's got that burst out there. Um, but yeah, we're not going to see a ton in this first preseason game. Probably not quitty pay. It looks like, which is kind of disappointing. I would like to see him, uh, how he looks against the pros out there, but I think, you know, Granson, Strong, 
Marlon Mack, guys coming off of injuries, and the new guys are all going to have an opportunity to show what they can do against NFL-level competition. Mike, what are you watching for this weekend? Oh, Kamoko Ture, Ben Banigou. Uh, both have had very, very good camps. I, I, I always keep reminding myself, we've seen a lot of guys have very, very good camps, and then they're gone because it, it, it's just different. And I tell you something we haven't talked about, just, just to kind of get Joe going, how about the kicking competition between uh, Pinero and Hot Rod? There you go. Uh, they, they've both been like 10 for 10, and this has got to be one of those where you've got to knock the champ out to get his title. So I want to see how they do that, and I, I, I can't imagine that, that, that Hot Rod loses his job. But uh, at least you've got good competition. I'm, I'm guessing they'll split up the kicks in, in preseason games because you, you simply cannot simulate the pressure of a game in practice. You, unless you're going to make, if a guy misses, you know, the eight other 88 guys have to, you know, run four laps or whatever. But but I want to see how these guys perform because you can't have 33-yard missed field goals in a playoff game. Can't do it, so uh, I'm going to see how these guys perform. For the record, Blankenship was listed as a starter on the unofficial depth. Oh, wow, big surprise means. right there. Yeah, right there. Yeah. <laughs> well, last weekend was a great weekend for uh, Colts fans as Peyton Manning and Edger and James were enshrined in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Uh, Mike, Mike, you were there. What was the experience like for you? Uh, and uh, I, seeing uh, all these uh, former Colts players and coaches all together, certainly a, a celebratory atmosphere is two of the best to ever suit up uh, for this franchise, joined the legends of pro football in Canton. Yeah, we were joking. Uh, on Sunday, Peyton Manning goes in the Hall of Fame, and on Tuesday we got Jacob Eason and Sam Ellinger taking snaps with the first unit. Well, thanks for bringing us down there, Mike. Okay. <laughs> but it was a great weekend. I mean, Friday we had the gold jacket ceremony where these guys get their gold jacket. And the cool thing is they had like 105 uh, current Hall of Famers sort of form a gauntlet. And then they, they, name, they bring out these 18 or 19 guys getting their jackets this year. And they walk through this and it's, it's you know, hugs and high fives. And it's really cool. And then Edge goes in Saturday and Peyton on Sunday. And I'm telling you. Two of the better speeches you're ever going to hear. Uh, Edgerin's the last five or six minutes was golden. It, it, it was moving. It was from the heart. And I have never, ever heard a guy bring it down by saying, he looks inside his jacket and says, you know, I'm inmate number 336 in the, what was it, the Canton Correctional Institute. Institute. Corrections. Yeah, that, Correct. yeah, one of those. Which is just, it's just great what he was talking about and then I was fortunate enough to go to the receptions that Jim Ursay had for both Edger and, and, and Peyton and I enjoyed that I did that with Marvin and Tony and it, it's yeah I spent a few minutes with Edger and Peyton yeah but but what it is you get a chance to see Marcus Pollard and and Ben Utek and Joe Adai and Antoine Bethay and and Kelvin Hayden, Marlon Jackson, Jeff Saturday, and on, and Ken Dilger, and Charlie Johnson from the Super Bowl, and Reggie was there. It, Dwight Freeney, I keep, I, they keep popping in my head. But that it just shows you the, the level of talent that they had, and then how, you know, Jeff Saturday, Tariq Glenn, Adam Meadows, they keep popping up. But, but the, the level of player and, and the bond that they had. Keep in mind that Jim Ursay, uh, presented Marvin Harrison and Edward James. That tells you something 
about the impact that an owner had on players. So cool weekend. And, you know, coming come up, Reggie and Robert Matzos are, are eligible this year. Reggie for the third year. Next year is Robert Matt or uh, Dwight Freeney. Two or three years at that inventory. I talked to him uh, at Payton's. And you walk around, you're bumping into people. You know, I bumped into Bruce Arians and Tom Moore and Clyde Christensen. And five yards back was Tom Brady for crying out loud. So it was it's it's amazing the 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 bonds and the camaraderie that, that how people show up for this and cool weekend. Joe, I'm I'm sure you heard the speeches and we'll, we'll show them to to all of you guys in just a second. You'll you'll hear them in a few minutes. But um, like uh, edges like, edges great message was about fighting perceptions and um, like for better or for worse. People had perception, perceptions of him that were untrue, that he he still stayed true to who he was and uh, came out the other side uh, as one of the best to ever play the game. And then Peyton's main message was was all about really protecting the game's future and fighting for the game's future. For those who love football, to ensure it has a strong, uh, strong future. And it might change, but uh, nevertheless, uh, to keep the game, to, to hold that same passion for the game. Um, and, and as Mike said, I really thought that those were two of the better speeches of the weekend. And, and I'm sure Colts fans... Uh, and, and even more than just Colts fans would agree that those two guys really hit it out of the park with what they had to say. Yeah, but both of those speeches really touched me. I mean, me personally, that was my childhood. Peyton Manning and Edge and James, and I would sit there with my plastic helmet on and holding the football, and it, it, it was awesome to see those all, all those guys again and watch them talk. Uh, Edge and James' speech really, you know, about more than just football. Um, so that was really special. And then after Peyton's, I mean, people went to Twitter and were talking about Peyton for commissioner, uh, for goodness sake, which I would love to see Peyton as a commissioner. Um, but it was just a great weekend all in all and seeing everything on Twitter. Mike had a, a ton of great posts showing all these players that uh, I used to watch on Sundays and admire. And uh, it, it was just wonderful all around. Hopefully we can keep it rolling with Reggie and Freeney and Mathis and Vinatieri and just keep the ball going. So if you haven't heard them or if you choose to hear them again, uh, we've got these Hall of Fame speeches for you coming up right now. Let's start with Peyton Manning at the Hall of Fame as he is enshrined this past Sunday. Thank you very much. Thank you all very much. When I was playing for the Colts, there were just a few seconds on the play clock and we needed the ball snapped quickly. I would yell, hurry, hurry, to my center, Jeff Saturday, and he would immediately snap me the ball. Well, I got to tell you, there you go. Tonight's speech is an all-time hurry, hurry. The 2021 induction class wants to thank those previous inductees who gave long-winded acceptance speeches, forcing us to have a whopping six minutes to recap our football careers. I want to give a special thanks to my old rival, Ray Lewis, for being here tonight. Ray just finished giving his speech that he started in 2018. Next year, accepted speeches will probably shrink to four minutes. And speaking of rivals, my good friend Tom Brady is here tonight. By the time he is inducted, By the time Tom Brady is inducted in his first year of eligibility in the year 2035, 
he'll only have time to post his acceptance speech on his Instagram account. The legendary John Madden says that the Hall of Fame busts whisper to each other at night. And it's actually true. My son Marshall and I have heard it. But I also think that they run plays at night. They scrimmage. They throw a little seven on seven. The other night I had a dream that I was in one of those scrimmages. The other team's coaches were Vince Lombardi and Paul Brown. My coaches, Bill Cower and Jimmy Johnson. That's right, a cowboy and a Steeler working together only in Canton, Ohio. We were on the 50-yard line with only three seconds left in the game. Coach Cower called a running play. I said, Coach, I'm going to have to audible. Omaha. I called, a ba I called a pass play. My bus faked a handoff to Barry Sanders. I threw a 20-yard break-in route to Michael Irvin right as Deacon Jones and Ray Nitschke hit me at the same time. Irvin, as he was getting tackled by Ronnie Lott, then lateral to Steve Largent, who was in a foot race down the sideline with Daryl Green and Lim Barney. The savvy Largent, knowing he couldn't win a foot race with Daryl Green, then lateral back to Lance Allworth, who dove into the end zone for the game-winning score. Now, yesterday, it was just a dream, but tonight, it's reality. Anyway, I just think it's pretty cool to say you're on the same team as Johnny Unitas and slinging Sammy Ball. I am honored to be a member of this elite class and a teammate of Drew's, Coach Floors, John, Calvin, Allen, and Charles. To be inducted on the same weekend with one of my favorite teammates of all time, Edger and James, is a thrill. Being reunited with Edgerin, my old teammates, the great Marvin Harrison, Marshall Falk, our Colts architect, Bill Polian, our Colts leader, Tony Dungy, is really something special. And I'm proud to be on the same team again with John Elway and the joint fellow Denver Bronco alums, Steve Atwater and John Lynch in this weekend's induction class. And there's room for more Colts and Broncos in here, I'm just saying. We have inherited the history of this sport, even helped create it, but our responsibility cannot stop there. If we simply relive history and don't ignite the future of the sport, then we're not doing football justice. Each of us has deep roots in this game. Football even helped us carve out a place to belong. In my youth in New Orleans and in Newman School, football carved out a place for my favorite quarterback, my hero, my role model, my dad, Archie Manning, to pass on something he loved to me. Dad, there's no one I would rather have or be more appropriate than you to welcome me to this stage. My dad enabled me to play balls with my brother Cooper and Eli, the two best brothers a guy could ask for. And it gave my mom plenty of reasons to both beef me up and patch me up. You talk about rocking out with the most loving mother who could also break down a cover two defense as well as any NFL quarterback. In college, at my beloved alma mater, the University of Tennessee, football gave me a platform to help me grow as a man and refine my skills. Entering the NFL, the game gave me a profession where I could measure myself against the very best and live camaraderie at its deepest level. I always thrived on being coached, and I learned from some of the very best coaches in the business, many of whom are here tonight. Sadly, 
We have lost two special coaches to me this year, the great Howard Mudd and my good friend Greg Knapp. May they both rest in peace. After my playing career, I hung a whistle around my neck and I've coached my son's flag football team for the past two years. Now, I'm not sure I'm a very good coach, but hopefully that role will enable me to make a hands-on contribution to the future of our sport. Over the years, I've had the most unbelievable support from family, friends, fans, coaches, teammates, and support staffs. And I just can't say thank you enough to all of you that have come here tonight to help me celebrate. To Jim Arcee and the Indianapolis Colts organization, my gratitude is off the charts. You drafted me in 1998, and it was a joy and a privilege to represent the Horseshoe. And to Pat Bolin, the Bolin family, and the Denver Broncos organization, you took a chance on me at a crucial moment in my career, and I will never forget it. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. When I officially retired from football five years ago, whether in person, on a call, or in a handwritten letter, I said all the thank yous that we unfortunately don't have time to repeat tonight. But trust me, they are as heartfelt now as they were then. To my wife, Ashley, there are no right words to express how grateful I am for you. Thank you for your unstoppable love and support. And to our children, Marshall and Mosley, you came into the world at the exact time that I needed you most. The two of you have already given your mother and me a greater inheritance than we could ever leave you. If football has become my home, the people of the great states of Louisiana, Tennessee, Indiana, and Colorado have become my extended family. And as everyone knows, you can never really leave family behind. I never expected to stand on this stage tonight. If it weren't for those busts and the memories of forever loyal fans, tonight's details would blur and cheers would fade. However, our hearts will cradle the memories forever. Throughout our lives as players, coaches, staffs, and fans, we've become essential to the sports landscape. I don't know about you, but I'm not done with this game. I never will be. I'm committed to ensuring its future, and I hope you will join me in that commitment. As members of this honored class, we have a responsibility to make our game stronger, from the corner playground to the most celebrated stadiums. During the past few years, the game of football has been challenged by an explosion of sports and entertainment options, safety concerns, erupting social justice issues, and a worldwide pandemic. Displaced fans have taken on an entirely new meaning as our stadiums have been shut down and fans shut out. We certainly shouldn't walk away now. When we leave this stage tonight, it is no longer about us. It is about cultivating the game that has given so much to us. It's about nurturing football to live and thrive another day, another year, decade, and another generation. It's about guaranteeing that kids everywhere can learn, bond, grow, and have fun with every flag pulled, every tackle made, every pass thrown, every run, block, sack, and touchdown scored. The audience here tonight is made up of die-hard fans who feel football deep in your bones. Now, we may have ignited the fire, but you, you have fanned the flames. Inevitably, those flames will be whipped by the winds of change, but they don't need to smolder. The future of this game is ours to shape. We just need to take tomorrow on our shoulders as readily as we donned our pads before each game. Let this moment become a cherished memory. And then remember, 
A legacy is only worthwhile when there is a future to fuel. God bless you and God bless football. That was Peyton Manning's enshrinement speech in Canton. Let's listen now to Edron James, enshrined the day before on Saturday evening. All praise goes to the man up top. This is a special moment for me, my family, and those close to me. So many individuals played a part in me joining this exclusive Pro Football Hall of Fame fraternity. I may miss a few names, but if you know, you know. I want to thank Mr. Ursay. I want to thank my Hall of Fame presenter, Mr. Jim Ursay, whom I consider to be a friend. Always been cool, down to earth, and accept the edge for being edge. Stand on this stage. I see many of the faces that have traveled every step of the way with me on this incredible journey. To my mama, we're here. <laughs> no blueprint, no manual, and most importantly, no man. I'm your man. Ever since you told me I was the man of the house, I took that role seriously. Mama, you did the best you could raising your five boys. Bird, Darian, me, Jeff, and G-Man. As a matter of fact, you did such a great job raising us, God gave you the assignment two times. When God took Andy, you stepped in without hesitation to help us raise our kids, and I can't thank you enough. <laughs> to my children, you all made me proud to be your dad. Watching and helping y'all pursue your dreams is a beautiful thing. Kui Kui, my firstborn, future lawyer and business partner. Iyana, my singer with such a beautiful voice. Imani, my plastic surgeon. You're gonna help so many women feel better about themselves. <laughs> Thank you, Ms. Deborah, for giving me a beautiful daughter and being the selfless person that you are. Eden, my running back. Keep working hard and blaze your own trail. And always, take care of your mother. She did a wonderful job raising you. Jizzle, my basketball player. Keep working hard. It always pays off. Euro, my youngest, my hero. Keep living the life I wish I could have lived at a young age. Stress-free, without a care in the world. May man. Keep being my main man. Family is important to me. I come from a big family. I don't want to leave anybody out, but y'all know how much y'all mean to me. Shout out to all my family in attendance and those that couldn't make it. For me, it all started in Immokalee, Florida. I learned the virtues of hard work growing up in Immokalee. Those qualities remain with me today. Immokalee High School is where I made a name for myself in football and where I became a man at a young age. I realized I could support my family through football. It took hard work, dedication, and sacrifices to achieve my goals. Thank you to my coaches at Immokalee High. Thank you, Audrey Moss, for giving me that extra, that extra push down the, step, down the stretch to get into the University of Miami. The U has always been second home to me. The city of Miami has always showed me nothing but love. Thank you, Head Coach Bush Davis, for believing in me and holding that scholarship. Don Solinger, my position coach. You motivated me to be the best. I was always confident 
but it was at the U where I realized how good of a football player I really was. I mean, some of the best football players in the country played at the U. Shout out to all my UM teammates in attendance. I see y'all boys. <laughs> also shout out to Dr. Ed, Pierre Rutledge, Gene Motto, Charles Bennett, and the rest of my team behind the scenes. After all these years, we're still rolling. The Indianapolis Colts made me the fourth pick in the 1999 NFL Draft. I'll always be grateful to fellow Hall of Famer Bill Polian for shocking the world and putting his faith in me. I played on some great teams in Indy, played with some great teammates, paid men. We couldn't have been more different as people. We couldn't have been more different as people. But when it came to football, the way we worked, we connected like brothers. Marvin Harrison, every day we meet up during special team period and talk post-football life. Reggie Wayne, my homeboy from the U to the shoe. Dwight Freeney, Cato June, my O-line, Tariq Glenn, Jeff Saturday, Ryan Dim, Adam Meadows, and Marcus Pollard, to name a few. It was also dope to play for fellow Hall of Famer Tony Dungy. A great coach. A great coach, but even better man, who related to his players on a personal and professional level. Gene Huey, my coach running back coach and personal friend. Always on point and never missed a detail. Shout out to all my coach teammates and members of the organization in attendance. I will always cherish my years with the coach. I was born and raised in South Florida. So coming to the Midwest was a whole different experience for me. To the city of, to the city of Indianapolis, thank you for embracing me. <laughs> Leaving Indy was tough, but you know me, Edge always been about his business. Special thanks to Cardinals owner Michael Bidwell, general manager Rod Graves, and the late Dennis Green. My time in Arizona was short but sweet. I made enough memories and friendships to last a lifetime. We took the Cardinals to the Super Bowl. I played with some great players, like Hall of Fame quarterback Kurt Warner, and future Hall of Famers Larry Fitzgerald and Anquan Bolden, along with Antrell Rowe, Terrell Smith, Leonard Pope, Reggie Wells, and so many other talented players. Throughout my career, I took pride in representing my culture, my people, and keeping it real. And I did it all while doing my job. In the real world, we need to think about these things and protect the people we're supposed to protect. Now, as a running back, I had to block and protect the quarterback. Just imagine if I don't, block, if I don't protect him from the pass rush. In society, we have witnessed a lot of people turning the other cheek. Since we're in the football world, imagine if I turn the other cheek and don't protect my quarterback. I played with two Hall of Famers, and I played against my brothers, people I went to school with. What if I intentionally miss my blocking assignment and one of my boys does damage to my QB? What happens to my team if I don't do my job and protect him? Now think about what happens to our culture and to our families when we don't get the protection we're supposed to. It tears us down. It kills our confidence. It divides us. Do your job. That's what I did. I put my body on the line and I protected my quarterback. We have a lot of things going on in this country. It's only right that we keep the light shining on these issues. Just do your job. 
If everybody did their job, the world would be a better place. For some reason, I always had to deal with perception. Perception, though, isn't always reality. It definitely wasn't my reality. People looked at my gold teeth and dreads and were shocked and surprised I had never been under arrest or spent time in jail. So many people told me that you can't have dreads and gold teeth and be accepted in the NFL, but I never listened. I always knew who I was, a great football player, a great father, a proud black man, a lion, and this was my main. Which many of those doubters would later discover once they got to know the real me. Times have changed. Look around the league. Look at some of the young stars. As a matter of fact, look at my pro football Hall of, Hall of Fame bus. Rocking the same dreads they said I shouldn't. My closing message, proudly represent the real you. Follow your dreams, aim high, and create the life you want to live. And to all those who have been judged prematurely because of their appearance, the way they speak, where they come from, and in the minds of many should be locked up in prison, I represent us. I'm forever immortalized, locked up in the Candy Correctional Institution. It made number 336 in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. <laughs> My career started with gold teeth and ended with this gold jacket. Good night and God bless. <laughs>that was Edger and James enshrined in the Pro Football Hall of Fame in Canton, Ohio. This past Saturday, a couple Colts eligible next year. Reggie Wayne has been a finalist twice. And for the first time, Robert Mathis will be eligible for enshrinement next year. Uh, I'm sure that'll be a topic that we get to in the future. But as for now, we are out of time for this week. You can follow us on Twitter at Colts Blue Zone to keep up with Colts news and notes throughout the week. Mike Chappell is at mchapel 51 I am at Dave G underscore sports. And Joe Hopkins is at Roto Street Joe. We thank you for listening to the Colts Blue Zone podcast. And we will see you next time.